Hi, I'm Isabella. And I'm Jeff. We're two Asian Australians who want to explore what it means to be Asian in the West. And you're listening to As I Am. Jeff and I are sitting down today, um, just us two. I think it's um, one of those things where while we do love having guests on the show, it is always nice to sometimes just delve into conversations between ourselves, take it back to the beginnings. And today, Jeff and I want to explore a topic that is very dear to our hearts, food, obviously. But I think the notion of authenticity and how that relates to food is something that has always kind of piqued our interest and I think something that we really want to unpack but before we get into that, on the topic of food, how was your Lunar New Year, Jeff? What did you eat? Oh, uh, you know, it was it was good. It's always good. Lunar New Year is always good. We we follow the um, I don't know about you guys. We always celebrate the eve rather than the actual day. Oh yes. Yeah, yes. so I think that does vary from different Asian country to country. Mm. But yeah, we went over to my grandma's house, and that was just. A lot of food. It's it's that point where you're at the top of the roller coaster and it's kind of overwhelming, but you're really <laughs> excited. You know yeah. what's going to happen. You're going to feel so uncomfortable by the end. You're going to hate yourself, <laughs> but you are equally excited. And that's the moment that I love for Lunar New Year. And it was great. It's always good to, you know, see the extended family. Of course. My uncle is by far the loudest person I've ever met in my entire life. It's literally <laughs> impossible to talk over him. And then you get some money. Oh, of course. That's the highlight of the night. We talked about this in you know, our episode two weeks, a couple weeks ago. But yeah, mm. the money component, which was great. Every time it comes around, it always feels really special. And I love it each time. What about you? How's yours? Yeah, mine was really nice. It was really low-key though. So um, in Vietnamese culture, we often do the eve as well, but not to the extent of dinners. Normally, it's like praying at midnight. Mm -hmm. So it's called gom, which essentially means to pray. So that was nice, you know, doing that and kind of maintaining those core traditions. And the food we ate was so good. We eat what you call ban tet and ban cheng, which essentially means like sticky rice cake, like in kind of different versions. Is it sweet or salty? Nah, it's salty. So nice. it's like rice on the outside, like glutinous rice, sticky rice. Inside you can have like meat, mung beans. I tend to like the mung bean, but no, it's amazing. It's a food feast. I always leave Lunar New Year celebrations. Like I always roll out the door, right? Yeah. And I don't know. It's just one of those things where with traditions like these, food is so integral, right? Like food is the centerpiece of any kind of, I mean, I'd say most Asian kind of celebrations, but especially Lunar New Year. Mm. I mean, what did you eat? Like what kind of authentic, if I can segue to that, what kind of authentic foods do you normally eat during uh, the New Year? Oh, God. I don't, I don't think we did this yet, but I think in the past there's always uh, different parts of the pig for us because oh, you yes. have to eat at least one part. Uh, it's like heart, liver, trotter, and each one is meant to represent some part of your fortune. Mm. So you eat – oh, God, my mom's going to kill me because I've forgotten this. <laughs> but essentially you eat each piece – and it's like, your health is good, money is good, all that sort of stuff. So you always have that one dish. It's never my favorite to eat, but I'll, I will still eat it. And then we have things like abalone, which is sort of like your bougie thing. This year we had oh my lo God, so lobster, good. which was like super yeah. bougie. 
And then because yeah. that side of my family is from the south, we always have Cantonese barbecue as well. Oh, yeah. It's just a lot of meat and protein. <laughs> it's just at the end, you just don't want to eat anymore. And the main thing is there's so much leftovers. And as a man living by myself, that is always a good thing. You know what I've always wanted to partake in? Have you seen the the tradition where there's it's almost like a shredded salad and everyone like flicks it up? Oh, yes. Wait, you don't do that. No, we don't do oh, that. I mean, I, I don't do it either, but my partner's family does it. Is so that I never... like Malaysian, Singaporean? I think so. Yeah. yeah. So he, his family is like Malaysian Chinese. So every time I celebrate it with them, we always do that. And I actually wish I had that in Vietnamese culture. It's really fun. It looks so fun. It looks it's so really fun. fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like the higher the noodles, the like more prosperity you will have for that year or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's good shit. It's yeah. good shit. I love that. <laughs> I love that. But, you know, the thing we want to talk about today is we've talked about our experiences with Lunar New Year. And in both ways, each one is authentic to us. It is an mm. authentic experience of Lunar New Year. But this notion of authenticity, especially when it comes to food, is something that is a touchy subject and one where I really struggle to talk about it without contradicting myself always because there's always the what I think is right and then what I truly want to say and these two forces always clash. But, you know, when I say the word authentic, what immediately comes to mind? Honestly, it's a bit of a cough out but food. And I think by that, you know, the extension of food is culture. The extension of food is identity. And I don't know, it's interesting. Like preparing for this episode, I actually found myself at times like feeling quite contradictory when it, mm. you know, because I was like writing down my notes and I was like, oh, authenticity means this, this and that, but it also means this, this and that. And I mean, we'll unpack it later on what I mean by this, this and that. But I feel like authenticity is quite a loaded word mm. and something that I think has evolved over the last decade or so in terms of, you know, how we value authenticity and what we value in authenticity, especially when it comes to food. But yeah, what about you though? That's a very vague answer. I didn't really say anything on that, but yeah, I think I just... wanted to unpack that. <laughs> Your law brain came out. It was just you answered the question without really answering the question. Correct, correct. How do you see authenticity? Look, I always view authenticity or just the idea of being authentic as genuine. Mm, yeah. You know, it's something that is true. True is, again, somewhat subjective because true to who, but I think that is in itself is what I mean by authentic. It is authentic to somebody or a collective yeah. of people. But that's all I can really think about. I, like, I think the wrong way I sometimes think about it is that authentic is correct. Mm. which isn't necessarily always the case. And that is a part of the struggle for me. Yeah, I want to unpack that. I mean, what is your personal relationship with authentic food or to the idea of authentic food, so to speak? Yeah, so this is, this is where the contradictions are going to start. Yeah. Because <laughs> food is just, it's so tied to your memories. Yeah. And just people don't like it when they experience something that clashes with those memories. And so you understand what a dish tastes like, whether that's through your parents, predominantly probably through something that your family's cooked. And then you eat somewhere else and it's like, oh, that's not really right. It's not really authentic. Yeah. Or it's not, if I can say it, it's not correct. Because I think it's not necessarily that it's not correct. It's just not aligned to what you understand to be mm. authentic. Mm. And I think right now what's really interesting about food is how food evolves. Obviously, tradition is not static and traditional food has always changed, whether it's through immigration, whether it's through historical events. But I think now, because of how globalized the world is, 
how fast social media can get trends out and how fast they disappear. These food cycles and how things change are occurring so much quicker where now I'm just sort of confused by what authentic food is. Yeah, yeah. And the only anchor I really have is to something that I remember from my my childhood. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does, it does, it does. Because that's like the only market that you have to like what is authentic to you, yeah. right? Like your memories, what you personally had when you were growing up. And that is kind of your marker to compare against with like other foods from your culture. Yeah. Because it's like you are literally a subject matter expert in that Yeah, taste. exactly. Yeah, You correct. have eaten yeah. it so much. There is yeah. so many dishes that I just know exactly what it tastes like. And then that becomes not only your benchmark, but yeah, exactly like your reference point. Yeah, correct. But, you know, it's not a universal Thing. it's like what's authentic to me is not necessarily authentic to you and it's probably not authentic to a close friend whose parents are also from the same part because mm. there's no universal standard and mm. i think sometimes we try to pretend there is yeah yeah and especially i think for me it's the it's the context of and the obsession around authenticity is when you are faced with not challenges but situations where people try to present something as authentic and it just it ticks me off but i I always try and and i'm always like and we can we can unpack this it's like why do you think like do you get angry when someone tries to be like oh i had the best vietnamese food and they just present something that it's someone that you probably know is incorrect yeah and they'll push something on you they'll probably pronounce it incorrectly etc 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 does that tick you off Oh, 100%. And it's interesting, right? Because I feel like for me, authentic food and, you know, kind of using that as part of my identity as a Vietnamese woman, I've always felt like when it comes to Vietnamese food, I've used authenticity as like a source of authority that, you know, because I am Vietnamese, I can justly praise or criticize like certain restaurants or cafes or, you know, I help certain people make Vietnamese food. And if someone who talks to me who isn't Vietnamese makes judgments about Vietnamese food or certain Vietnamese restaurants, I honestly don't really believe them. Like I actually take their opinion to the grain of salt. But at the same time, like who am I to judge, right? I'm not, I'm not a chef. Like I've had like countless of times in my life but I don't know how to make fur like am I in a position to judge not knowing like what the actual recipe entails in terms of just like the actual technique right so I don't know that's what I mean by kind of like holding multiple truths at once like I feel like I come from a source of authority because I am Vietnamese because I've I know fur like the back of my hand when it comes to like taste palettes I know what tastes right I know what tastes wrong quote unquote but at the same time like if you told me to make a bowl of fur and, you know, I make you a bowl for, it's not going to taste like the fur that I imagine to be authentic, right? Um, so I don't know. It's 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 interesting because you almost use your identity. And I think you said this the other day that I found quite illuminating, you know, as a way to weaponize, right? As a way to kind of claim some sort of legitimacy, you know, that links your culture to a certain kind of food. And, you know, this idea of people being so obsessed with the notion of authenticity I find quite interesting and something that I want to interrogate more. I mean, like, what are your opinions about this obsession? Like, do you think it's rightly justified? Like, do you think it's erroneous? Like, what are your opinions? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll make you my fellow one time. I would like your honest <laughs> judgment, you know. I want to I yeah. see how it compares yeah. to mums. Obviously, it will never compare to mums, but if we can yeah. get somewhere in the ballpark, I think we're I think we're looking for sure. But, but to answer your question... I think for us where, you know, our experience is very similar in the sense that we grew up in adhering to traditional 
white norms and white behaviors and we're sort of playing their game for lack of a better phrase but then situations come along where the tables flip we are the experts in that phrase or we are viewed as the experts and that power for that brief second those brief minutes of interaction it flips and whether it's addiction to that whether it's this role reversal where it's like I haven't experienced this that as many times in my life and I want to hold on to this experience. So the choice you make is you, as you were saying, weaponize and you gatekeep. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, can you blame us? Like for once we are the gatekeepers and that's not something that we actually have often, right? And especially because like, you know, it's it's about cultural judgment, right? Like often like food is like the easiest access point. Like it's the most accessible way you can access someone else's culture. And the first time in your life, you're able to actually gatekeep that. Like, that's pretty powerful, you know? So I, I totally get it, mm. yeah. But should we be gatekeeping? I don't think we should be gatekeeping. Well, that's a question though, right? Like, should we be gatekeepers? And I feel like the obsession of authenticity from people who kind of proclaim to be the gatekeepers, like, I, I get it to an extent. I get it. But yeah, it's another question of whether or not that should be happening. But it's interesting, though, kind of seeing that, like, role reversal where... For once, we are the ones who have a claim to legitimacy or authority when it comes to declaring something as authentic or not. Yeah, yeah. I think it's bad to gatekeep because I think you scare people. You almost close off their frame of reference when the idea of exploring new cultures and food should be this really exciting thing that should basically know no bounds, right? Mm. You as an individual who is an authoritative figure if you start to push these ideas of what is right and what is wrong onto others consistently, I think it almost diminishes the way they can truly experience your culture as a whole. Yeah, for sure. And this comes back to, I think this is ultimately like the biggest thought experiment of my life. It's not, um, what, what's a famous thought experiment? <laughs> Look, there's a couple of problems out there. There's one where it's like, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like the reason why aliens haven't visited or it's like whether or not we're living in a simulation. You know, there's right. big ideas. You know, shout out my guy, Alex Listens. If you want to learn about philosophy, <laughs> go listen to that one instead. But, you know, this is the, the biggest one that I don't quite have an answer to. And it's the restaurants that are Asian fusion, for example, do they act as a gateway for people to experience the actual cuisine? It's like a first step. Hmm. Right. Hmm. And we've talked about this. Several times. And I think the stance I've always had has been no. Mm. No, they're not gateways because you are presenting a modified version of what the experience is. You are adding all the glitz and glamour that people are after, not necessarily the food experience that they want. But, you know, recently I'm, I've sort of like double turned back. I think of, mm. I think maybe... You know, what, what are your thoughts? Like, you know, we, we hammered Chin Chin that one time. And I still think Chin Chin is trash. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, is it actually doing a good service? Yeah. You know, what are your thoughts on this? I think I'm similar to you where I used to be quite hard in, in my views on, you know, if you want, like, to eat Chinese food, if you want to eat Malaysian food, you should eat at those restaurants. You shouldn't be, like, having to go to, like, places like... Hanoi Hana or Chin Chin to be able to kind of co-opt and, you know, understand those flavors and try those flavors. But at the same time, honestly, I don't think it's a bad thing. And, you know, I think it goes back to this idea of gatekeeping, right? Like, is it not as legitimate to not like the food that you're eating because the food you ate wasn't quote unquote authentic? Like just because it was Asian fusion, does that deny you the right to like it? Does that make sense? Mm. Are you not allowed to like a kind of food because... 
Uh, it was a product of Asian fusion, right? Yeah. Have you been in that scenario where you're at one of those restaurants and you eat oh, something? Oh, 100%. 100%. And, and I'm like, actually I actually like this. it tastes pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you I, almost oh, tricked yourself into thinking yeah. it's shit. <laughs> yes, because I'm just like... <laughs> Morally, I shouldn't like this because exactly. I feel like Morally. if I'm having, <laughs> but like, where does that come from, right? I, I think it just it comes from pride and it comes from it comes the from fact pride, that, yeah. you know, and I get it, right? I feel like people and especially people from minority backgrounds whose food suddenly becomes like trendy, right? I feel like people are really resistant to the fact that others can co-opt your culture and your foods from your culture and make it cool and trendy, make it palatable as Asian fusion, right? I get it. I get the resistance. But at the same time, if it's good food, it's good food, right? Like food is an experience. And I feel like if someone can eat a certain piece of food that maybe is born out of Asian fusion and that leads them to discover that like, oh, actually this tastes really nice. Where does this come from? Oh, okay, Malaysian origins. Maybe I'll check out Malaysian food. I don't know. Maybe I'm simplifying it. But I just feel like we shouldn't be too critical mm. about the moments when people enjoy food, right? I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm steering away from the authenticity kind of piece of this episode, but I just feel like... We place a lot of emphasis on food being authentic and, you know, I get it to an extent, but at the same time, we shouldn't let that be a barrier to people enjoying foods that may have been innovated or modernized or kind of fused with very legitimate meltings of cultures, right? Yeah. Does that uh, make sense? No, 100%. And then yeah. that, that sort of moves on to the next bit where there's so many new and exciting restaurants where people take influences from their mm. cultural background, mix it with new techniques, whether they're French, Italian, and then you you bring in something new. And that's, I guess, like what some people call like modern Australian food because it is mm. the food of our identity, right? It's the food of our upbringings, the food of our experiences. And, you know, some may say that the obsession of authenticity and tradition can potentially act as a barrier, you know, for growth. Mm. Like, what do you think of that? Because the way I see it, the gatekeeping almost tries to force the food to be static. Yeah, 100%. And it tries yep. to stop it yep. at a moment in time yep. without yep. letting it move. Yep. And I think there's a lot of value in mm. remembering something at a point in time. But for oh, things, for sure. Yeah, but for things like evolution and progression in terms of food, yeah. like, do you think it's a barrier? Yeah, I totally get what you mean. And, you know, I think just like... Just to quickly touch back on this obsession with authentic food, right? I think people are resistant to it also because I think authenticity is often construed as food that's been cooked in its quote-unquote truest form, right? Food that hasn't been catered to a Western palate, food that hasn't been kind of co-opted to fit the Western mainstream, whatever it is. Mm. But at the same time, like you said, food evolves, culture isn't static. And I feel like often, you know, especially in Melbourne, um, and just looking around at the food scene and you see a lot of, you know, first generation immigrants starting their own businesses, second generation immigrants. And I feel like this idea of authenticity really places a lot of undue pressure on restaurants mm. and people to make food and deliver that authenticity. And I think that comes from both like a cultural and economic perspective, right? And, you know, there's this really great Instagram account called Bowing Up Brunswick. Follow them if you haven't already. And I remember she made these really telling posts. She talks about this in a post where, you know, she's like a first-gen immigrant. She was born in Australia, Vietnamese parents, which is, you know, the reality for a lot of people in Australia, right? You're born in Australia, you're first-gen. And, you know, she talks about this idea of like grappling with her identity as a Vietnamese person, right, who's born in Australia, she's Vietnamese, but she was born in Australia. Does that still give her a right 
to kind of claim authenticity to her food, even though, you know, she hasn't been born in Vietnam, she hasn't like cooked in Vietnam or whatever it is. And I think that's interesting because why do we place so much emphasis and pressure or why do people place so much pressure on us to kind of be the ones that if we create authentic food, we must have like lived in like, you know, the slums of wherever it is. We must have like, you know, struggled through this, this and that. Like, why can't authenticity just be passed on, you know, through families, through generations? So that's kind of the first point where I think authenticity really kind of creates this pressure on identity and like, you know, that claim to legitimate identity and being a source of authority for that. I think it also places a lot of pressure on the economics of restaurants and, Mm. you know, the financials and the actual perception of what is conceived to be authentic through how expensive or how cheap food is. Something that really, really peeves me is when people complain about how expensive banh mi is. Oh my God, it's like $10 or it's $12. Um, Bitch, like, would you ever buy focaccia that's like under $12? Absolutely not, right? And it's just like... (laughs) Funny, honestly, historically has been cheap because people needed to survive. Yeah. People didn't have a means to, like, they couldn't afford to hike up the prices of banh mi because, you know, no one really ate banh mi back way when. I mean, by no one, I mean just, like, the masses. I feel like banh mi has really only took off in the last couple of years. But what I'm trying to say, though, is that I feel like often people perceive, especially Asian food, cheap food Mm. equals authenticity. And as soon as you hike up prices on banh mi, pho, or any other Asian food you can name of, like, and you know, I think Asian food also has this problem of like not being good enough for fine dining, whatever, but we can unpack that another day. But I feel like often cheap eats is associated with authenticity, especially authentic Asian food. And that really pisses me off because I think often that's born out of survival and economic necessity more so than authenticity, right? Yeah. I just went on a really big rant there, but what are your thoughts? No, for sure. Well, first and foremost, your focaccia versus a bun example. Go out there and Google a recipe to make focaccia and then one to make the baguette that's specifically mm-hmm. designed for a bun I've done both. Mm-hmm. Focaccia is actually very easy, especially if you do yeah. like the slow rise in the fridge. So you mix your ingredients together, you pop the yeast in, you, you, you slow rise it in the fridge. Slow rise is always better for bread, um, allows it to develop a bit more flavor. Mm. And then you come out, you dimple it, you put salt over or you fucking bake it. The technique yeah. required to get the bunmi baguette correct is insanely difficult because there's an alchemy where the amount of moisture in it, you can get that super thin crust on the bread. That is incredibly difficult. So the fact that people are complaining about the prices yeah. is, is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I wish people like were just generally just a bit more food literate because if you understood the process that it takes to make things, I feel like you would openly pay a bit more money to it. And, you know, to your point about the economics of Asian food, it's, it's a really tough problem to, I think everyone acknowledges it, but it's very difficult to change because we've built habits. Like everyone's built habits. Like even sometimes like myself, you know, I, I will myself like look at the you know, Asian food and I'm like, fuck, that is actually like quite expensive. And then I'll look at oh yeah for sure a small plate of what did I have like a few weeks ago I like barad of like tomatoes and something it was like twenty eight bucks I didn't bat an eyelid right yeah yeah and I went to an Asian I went to like a Chinese restaurant and I ordered something it was like eighteen dollars and I was like fuck that is really yeah. expensive so like we yeah. are also guilty of it because we have oh, these 100%. memories and we have these experiences of what the food is 
And it's, I don't actually have a solution for it. And I don't know if there is one at the moment, which is kind of sad to think about. I was just going to say, I feel like your point's through, right? Like, I think all such victims to this internalized feeling that Asian food, when it's cheap, it's authentic, right? Like, you wouldn't bat an eyelid at the authentic Chinese, like, hole in the wall restaurant with like mm. a bad health rating and whatever it is, right? Like I think often the dirtier the better, you know? I mean, that's that's my perspective at least. Or like often what I feel the rhetoric is around like Asian food, like whenever I go to like a Vietnamese restaurant, it's dirty. I'm like, yep, this is it. Like, this is good, right? Like, isn't that kind of fucked up? Whereas like, I feel like if I go to like, oh my God, I can't even like picture what like a Vietnamese fine dining restaurant would be like. That mm. to me doesn't feel authentic. And that kind of like thinking is really wrong, but like I'm victim to it as much as like many people are, right? And I think it's just like a history of, like you said, associating certain kinds of foods in terms of just like the pricing, different things and what that means for authenticity. And I see here you've written a question about, you know, top tips for eating authentically. I genuinely don't know. Yeah. See, like, what does it mean to be authentic? I, I keep, we I keep going back to this question, but I don't have an answer. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think, like, rather than coming up with an answer, maybe it's more about, like, where we should aim to shift the conversation to. Because right now, a lot of the conversation is we make it binary, right? It's either uh, authentic yeah. or it's not. I think ideally you can move to a place where the discussion is a bit more fluid, viewing not necessarily authenticity or authentic food as something that is just stagnant and you can't really change it, but trying to understand like the context around authenticity with food. Mm. Who's making it? You know, what's their experience? For your example, was it a Vietnamese person who grew up in Australia? Like, have they absorbed Australian influences? Mm. Like, who are we to say that just because, you know, they're not from Vietnam, that that experience of what food she's making isn't necessarily the most exactly. authentic thing for her, right? Exactly. So I think, yeah, like, this exactly. is this is where, and as you can tell, we've gone back and forth. I've probably contradicted <laughs> myself, like, a million times. But with, with all things, it's not necessarily about being right and wrong, but I think we can progress the conversation to some like a better place where we can embrace that there's more layers to it. I think that is actually in itself quite a positive. And so, you know, for myself, maybe I'll make this like a 2022 goal, but just to not have my eyes twitch if someone, you know, says something that I might not necessarily agree with when it comes to food, you know, to be a bit more open-minded about, you know, hearing about new restaurant concepts, um, hearing from advice, because I don't necessarily know the full story about the restaurant. I don't know who's cooking the food. Like I'm just hearing a very short sentence, a very short summary of what someone's told me or something that I've read. And I I want to be more open-minded because I think, if we are perceived as authority figures or people who know their shit and know what they're talking about, we should set the example of being open and being able to embrace the multifaceted nature that is authenticity. Oof, make that into a quote, Jeff. I, I liked that. Actually. that, was, that was, I didn't know how that was going to come around. I was like, it's going to come around. <laughs> Actually, that's pretty much what podcasting is, is what I've come to learn. You kind of start someplace and you just hope your brain (laughs) finishes the sentence correctly. 100%. Um, That's great. Anything else you want to touch on before we end? Uh, Well, look, we said, you know, top tips for eating authentically. I think being open-minded is always the answer to a lot of things. It's interesting because I feel like, like we said from the beginning, how we deal with authenticity, I think I often hold two truths at once. But at the end of the day, I think 
the best and safest way to kind of do and eat authentically is to be open-minded, right? Is to make sure that you're not going in holding certain prejudices or biases. I'm sure you are a legitimate source for that culture and that certain kind of food. But at the same time, like like we said, culture is not static. How people interpret food, what is authentic to them may not be authentic to you. And that's completely fine. You know, we can hold multiple truths at once. And I think authenticity is very much one of those paradoxes. Yeah, no, 100%. Last question. And I do not claim to own this question. I always enjoy this part um, from the Derek Chang podcast. Actually, they kind of stopped doing it recently. But what is the best thing you ate in the last week? Ooh, ooh, good question. Honestly, it was the leftover ban jung I had which, as I said at the beginning of this episode, a typical Lunar New Year dish. But the thing is, I, I quite like eating leftover food. Is that weird? No, so, no, no, because a lot of food tastes better the next day. Yes, yes, it does. It's literally a, a chemical reaction. It's like the food molecules, the flavours, they all come together. It tastes like one single thing versus oh, yeah, yeah, all yeah, the yeah. things that you move to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, pasta tastes way better the next day. And you of like braise. It's sort of like slow cooked thing. Hundred yeah. percent, and you know, obviously, I, I it's it's very atmospheric to like eat the lunar year foods like on the lunar year day or during like you know around a lot of people when it's quite festive. But I remember like having a great time sitting at the kitchen by myself, finishing the banjung, and I was like, "Fuck, this is a really good banjung," and I just had a really really delicate moment where I was like, "Wow, this is really good shit," and I'm. So happy to be Vietnamese and eating this wonderful Vietnamese mm. leftover dish from the new year. And yeah, that was the best meal I had. It was also like, like I fried it up again and like I left it for a little bit and then I came back and it was still cold, but it was still delicious. And mm. yeah, it was, it was amazing. How about you? Yeah, some food is just better cold. Yeah, I'm in, <laughs> I'm kind of in the cold pizza camp. Kind of. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I am one of those people. Mm. Uh, best thing I ate. So besides Asian food, I think the food I love eating is just like really simple. I would I would call it like wine bar snacks. Mm, and nice. the best one. What's your go-to? Yeah, the one I had recently that was amazing. It was a little crostini with mm. wait, what is that? Just like a little piece of toasted bread. Oh. It's normally like a, a baguette that they like slice on a bias and then they like toast it. This one's like super thin and it had creme fraiche, a sardine and some horseradish. Yeah. And the sardine was like pickled. And yeah, I thought it was just a really, I think the older I get, the more I like simple things. Yeah. I still like really yeah. over the top shit. And now I'm just like, yeah. I just want it stripped back. I want it to, you know, yeah. good ingredients, prepared simply. And that was the best And was that authentic to you? Uh, well, definitely. <laughs> no. I don't know. Do, do Chinese people eat creme fraiche? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> what a, what a Asian people lactose intolerance. They're probably not eating creme fraiche. Yeah. Hey, look, it's authentic to you. That's all that matters. That's true. That is, that is the that is the message from this podcast, and that is a perfect way to wrap it up. If you enjoy this podcast, uh, <laughs> make sure you give us five stars. You can vote on Spotify now, not just Apple, because um, I think, I think that, I don't know why they didn't put it in originally. But anyway, give us five stars uh, and then we'll see you guys in the next episode. See you later. Bye.